Welcome to the Speak With People podcast. My name is Jason Rates, and I'm so excited that you are joining us today. Here at the podcast, we believe that healthy communication is oxygen for your relationships and your leadership. So whether you communicate one-on-one, to a team, from a stage, or from behind a screen, uh, we really hope that today our time together will inspire you to breathe life into your world with your communication. Uh, hey, before we hop into that, I just want to ask you a question. Uh, where do you turn for help, support, encouragement, share ideas about your communication and your leadership? Well, if you're looking for a place to invest in your communication and curate some of your ideas, that's why we created the Speak With People community group. If you go to facebook.com slash groups slash speak with people, that will be in the show notes as well. Come and join a fun, supportive community of leaders who are all working on becoming healthier and more effective communicators. Well, today I'm so excited about this podcast episode. We are just joined by an incredible guest. Communication is so much more than just words, just speaking words. Speaking and presenting on a stage is just a sliver of the communication process. Uh, And even one-on-one, words just make up a sliver of that. And often our body language speaks louder than words, from crossed arms to avoiding eye contact to nervous fidgets to looking at our watch. Uh, And so sometimes we even have forced smiles. Uh, Since often we put up barriers and the walls between us and the audience, and we don't even know it sometimes. And so in this episode, we're going to dive into the primary kind of negative body language signals that can erode trust Uh, possibly undermine credibility and hinder effective communication with our audience. And so whether you are a professional speaker or you are in sales and you're just wanting your presentations to be more uh, impactful, this uh, time is for you. Boy, this is going to be great. I'm honored to introduce our guest. Uh, She's a former TEDx senior uh, speaker coach. She's a presentation expert. Uh, she has over 20 years experience uh, with working with leaders. She was a Yale School of Drama uh, a professor, and she's the founder and president of Farrington Partners, where she blends her experience in the performing arts and executive coaching. And I can't wait for this interview. Well, welcome to the podcast, Jacqueline Farrington. Well, thank you very much, Jason. It's wonderful to be here. Absolutely. I'm just so honored. Hey, before we hop into our conversation, could you give us just a little bit more? I know I gave, you know, sometimes I give too much, you know, about the. <laughs> the guest. Uh, But could you give us a little bit more about your story, who you are, what you do, where you're from, all that kind of stuff? Sure. I think you captured it. I focus on, as a coach and a consultant, I focus on the intersection between leadership communications and change. Mm. So I support leaders on driving change leadership in organizations transformative change, Mm -hmm. which of course communications is a bedrock of of that. Right. And I'm originally from Seattle, Washington. I I lived in New York for a little over 20 years, Melbourne for about a year, London and LA for a couple of years. And I got started in this. I I was a professional actor in my twenties. And then while I was acting, I also started teaching at the Yale School of Drama, did that for about 14 years. While I was there, I was working with people at the law school and the School of Management and had a real aha when I was doing that in terms of the the impact that the work I was doing had on people other than actors Mm. who would come to me and say, not only did this help me give a better presentation or in one case, get elected to office in in someone's state, but 
it's making me a better communicator with my partner, with my kids. And, mm -hmm. and so that to me was an aha around, wow, this is powerful stuff. And that's what led me to start my coaching and consulting firm. Oh, goodness, that's powerful. And it is, it is something I, I just think so, so often we take communication for granted. We all do it. We all communicate just like we all breathe, you know, but we kind of take for granted it and how complex the internal system of, you know, allowing us to do that breath. And so th that's why, I, you know, I love what you do because you're helping people, you know, be able to invest in their communication skills and ultimately connect deeper either on stage or one-on-one. -on -one. And I just love that. Well, there's so many communication areas I, I you know, could talk to you about. Uh, I've, I have loved going through your book. Let me make sure I get it on screen here. Better presentations, how to present like a pro. I do a lot of presentations. I mean, our, I, my, my book is covered in highlights and notes, and I've, I've just been uh, so blessed by it. Uh, but I, I really want to focus some time on communicating with congruency and just kind of talking about our body language because, you know, sometimes that can communicate what our words are, are, are not. So at the end, I do kind of want to see if we have time. I want to ask you about your phrase, uh, hell or hell. Uh, you know, talking about those kind of, you know, ums and all that kind of stuff, but I wanted to jump in that. So let's start by exploring, you know, why does body language play such a pivotal role in communication? And, you know, do, do you have any examples that you could kind of give us to, to kind of point to, to go, well, that's why it's so important. Sure. It plays such a pivotal connection point because in any communication, there are two conversations going on at the same mm. time. Conversation one, that's our words. Conversation two is what we're doing with our words, mm -hmm. our body language and our voice. Psychologists call it the para language. So the, the how we use our voice in delivering the, the content. And if the two are out of sync, audiences will listen to conversation two, the voice and the body language, over conversation one every single time. Wow. And so if they're not a, a aligned, then that it's really not going to matter what you say, mm -hmm. because they're going to be noticing what the unsaid is and in, in what you're saying. Wow. And yeah, I've got loads of stories, but one story that, that comes to mind right now is a leader that I was brought in to work with who he was new. He was new to the organization. He was new to a, a quite senior role and people didn't trust him. Mm. They didn't like him and they didn't trust him. And it was so funny. The first time I met him, he walked into the room and he just had this kind of frozen smile on his face. Yep. And he, through the, I think it was a one hour meeting through the whole meeting, he just kept that smile on his face. And then I observed him in, in different communication settings, same thing, never lost that smile. And of course, he would have what we call micro expressions. So micro expressions are almost imperceptible to the human eye, or at least to the conscious human eye, the conscious brain, mm -hmm. but they're tiny muscular movements in the face. They were identified by Paul Ekman, who first identified microexpressions. If you want to learn a little more about them, they're tiny movements in the face that, that give away our underlying emotional state, our underlying inner monologue. And so while he had this, this frozen mask of a smile on his face, 
of course his jaw would clench if he was angry about something or mm. unhappy about something or his brows would kind of come together if he was uncomfortable about something so there was this incongruency even in the the body language that yep. people couldn't articulate why they didn't trust him mm. why they disliked him but it was this incongruency in what was happening with his his physical representation of his inner state Martha Graham, who's a, a famous American choreographer, had a saying, the body never lies. Oof. And it doesn't. So the body will telegraph what our inner state is. Mm. Wow. Wow. That is, I mean, that's just so powerful. I, and so many people probably don't think about that. But if they actually took some time to, you know, kind of think about that, they're like, okay, we all kind of have that, that moment. I know for me, when I'm on stage, sometimes I fidget with my uh, belt or I'll, I'll put a hand in my pocket and I'm a storyteller. And so I'm telling a story and kind of get into it. And, and I've had quite a few people over the years tell me, boy, I really noticed you playing with your, you know, with your belt. And I, I was like, wow, how did you, you know, even pick up on that? Uh, maybe could you highlight a few of the kind of negative singles signals that you've identified, you know, like that, like that frozen stare. Are there any more of them, you know, and maybe what's kind of underneath those, if you can? Sure. The psychological gestures is mm. what we call them. And again, they are telegraphing our inner state our inner emotional state, our, our inner monologue. So it might be someone pacing back and forth on, on the stage yes. to the point where it's distracting. Yeah. Or it might be the, the body from the table up looks very calm and together, but underneath the table, the foot is going like this or the, right. the leg is going like this. Right. Or it might be uh, arms crossed and, and we don't understand why they're crossed. Again, it's important to understand, though, what's going on inside that's driving that. And you, and you mentioned mm. triggers. So it could be that with the person pacing back and forth, they might be really excited about mm. what they're communicating about. At the same time, they might be really nervous. Yep. Don't know. The same with the foot. Might be really excited. Also might be really impatient. Or it might just be that, that they that's a habit they do all the time. Yep. So it's important to take a step back and build that awareness and ask yourself, well, that behavior is pointed out to me, or I, I notice I'm, I'm doing that behavior. What's going on inside? Am mm. I feeling nervous? If mm. I'm feeling excited, maybe there's a way that I can better focus and channel that excitement to make my movement more purposeful and, and clearer. But if I'm feeling nervous, underconfident, impatient, annoyed, then what can I do to reframe how I'm thinking about the situation? Change my thoughts, because the, the thoughts are going to be a, a spark for the emotions, which are then going mm. to drive behavior. And, and the body never lies. We, we telegraph what, what that emotional state is. So looking at how am I thinking about this situation? Is it helping to create the kind of behavior I want to create? If not, then let me change how I'm thinking about it and let me reframe how I'm viewing the situation. Wow. Wow. Well, uh, if you're, if you're a communicator and you're, you know, trying to figure out, okay, are there some of these that I'm doing 
what do you think is the best course of action, you know, for someone to, you know, start to pick up on some of these? Yeah, well, awareness is half the battle. Yeah. Most of the time people are not even aware they're they're doing it. My guess would be, and in fact, I think you said this, that before someone pointed out that your hand was going in your pocket, grabbing your belt, you weren't aware that you were doing that. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so awareness is half the battle. So ask, ask people, get yeah. some feedback, get some feedback on what they see you're doing and how it's working for you and some suggestions on what you can do to improve. But also I'm a big fan of videotaping yourself. Mm. And so whether it's hitting the voice memo when you're leaving a, a voicemail message on your phone so you can record yourself and listen to your voice, or in, in this case, since we're talking more about body language, it's so easy nowadays with, with video conferencing platforms, just hit that record button, watch it. And if you're focusing on body language, watch it with the sound off first. So you can oh. just focus on your body language, yeah. how you're using it, and then bring the sound back on to, uh, to see how the two work together and, and make a list of, stick to three you really don't want more than three otherwise it can be overwhelming but make a list of, of three things that you want to change and then think about setting small goals for yourself for, for example say to yourself well in this one meeting next week i know i tend to get nervous mm. this is an audience where it, maybe it's a very senior audience and i and i tend to get nervous in that meeting so i'm not even going to try to change anything first I'm just going to check in with myself two or three times in the meeting and notice what's my body language doing? How is mm. it working? For me? And then you can start to set small goals for yourself. So if you've identified that you're a big leg shaker underneath the table yeah. and the table is moving, you're so vigorous right. with your leg shaking, then set a goal for yourself of, okay, three times in this meeting where I know I get a little nervous, I'm going to check in with myself. And I'm going to see if I can just still my leg. Mm. And then I'm going to notice how that feels. And chances are it's going to feel really uncomfortable, mm. really awkward. There's a, I don't know if you've ever seen that, that learning curve, what, what we go through when we're learning. Sure. So there's uh, unconscious competence. No, sorry. Let me get that right. There's, so I'll go back and say that again. I don't know if, you've, uh, if you're aware of that learning curve, what we all go through when we're learning something, but the, the first phase is unconscious incompetence. Mm. And then as we build that awareness, we move into conscious incompetence. And then as we try to add a new behavior in, change a habit, change to a new behavior, we move into conscious competence, where it's a little clunky. Mm -hmm. And it feels awkward. And the more we practice it, then we move into unconscious competence. And it, it's literally a, a bell curve like that. Yep. And so when you are working with a new behavior, it's going to feel awkward at mm. first. It's going to feel really uncomfortable. And that's a part of what you need to go through to build that competence, to build that conscious competence, leading to unconscious competence. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in your coaching, you know, I, I, there's a couple of younger leaders that I'm coaching right now and they, they, you know, there's just, they're struggling on stage cause they're just stiff and they're, you know, they, they, they want to be more robust. You know, when you're coaching someone, you know, when 
kind of walking them through this learning curve that you're just, you know, talking about, what are some steps that you take them through? I know I'm, I'm thrown off script here a little bit, but you're, as you're talking, I'm like, there are just so many great questions coming to mind. But yeah. yeah, what are some steps that you help them, you know, to be able to find that comfortability when they're standing on stage and, and really become the person, you know, who they are on the inside, but represent that on the inside, uh, on the outside? Yeah. Well, well, first it's managing that inner monologue, that mindset, that, that inner state. So mm. a number of years ago, I worked with a leader, world-renowned scientist, but her, her company did not want her to do medical presentations to a medical audience because she was described as being so hostile mm. to people who asked questions that it wasn't doing the company any favors. And in fact, when I talked with her, she said, yeah, I feel like when they ask me questions, they're trying to poke holes in my credibility. Mm. They're trying to make me look like I don't know what I'm talking about. But the moment she did a reframe on that and said, well, what if I thought about questions as, hey, they're asking questions because they want to engage, because mm. they're interested in what I'm saying. Hey, this is an opportunity to get into a, a conversation with someone and engage them and the rest of the audience in that discussion totally changed her demeanor. So yep. the first thing is to look at what what are you saying to yourself? What's your inner monologue? The second thing is to, and it's it goes along with mindset, is to remember that in order to move to that unconscious competence, we've got to go out of our comfort zone. Mm. You, you got to move to that space that is not habitual, that is not comfortable. It doesn't mean that when you try things that take you out of your comfort zone, you're always going to live there. But you, you got to stretch. You, you yeah. got to stretch the, the chords on the Stradivarius, if you will, on the violin. So I'll do things like get them to overact something. Right. So that they start to just really get in their, their bodies and think about what is the distillation of what I'm trying to communicate here. Mm -hmm. So I'll say to them, you're a bad actor. Worst actor I've ever seen. You overact everything bring that into what what you're doing and that just starts to give people uh, a sense of using their physical selves to mm. communicate an idea but also starts to give them a sense of what the range is that hey i can do something different with my hands yeah. than this but uh, i can use my hands high to low or low to high or laterally or circular or staccato there's different ways just if I think about my gestures. Wow. Uh, another exercise I'll do thinking of gestures is say to them, pretend that I'm deaf. You're mm. speaking to a person and you're speaking American Sign Language. And every word has its own gesture. Wow. So they have to really slow down, but then it, it starts to get them thinking about what's the idea that I'm communicating, what's the emotion that I'm communicating, what's the action that I'm communicating, and how do my hands then support me in that? So those are a few ways that, that I'll get people to experiment. Yeah, no, those are really good. I, I, I think it's amazing sometimes to me when you're on stage and you think you are just creating the biggest hand movements and really you're just... You know, you're, yeah. up, you're barely moving them and people are like, no, no, no. You know, so these steps are just fantastic to be able to help people kind of 
you know, come on. Let, let's go back. I, I got us off for there for a second because this was so fascinating. Some of those negative signals. Uh, let's, you know, talk about a couple of the, you know, the individual ones. So crossing the arms, you know, sometimes it's seen as a defensive, you know, um, gesture. I was doing a training last week in Illinois and I was talking about arms crossed and how it can sometimes, you know, come across as defensive and a woman raised her hand and she goes, but that's just how I process, you know? Um, so how do we, how do we, you know, differentiate between that genuine comfort and the guardedness, you know, when we cross the arms, you know, is there, is there an appropriate time to cross them, use it that way? You know, those kind of things. So do you mean, how do we differentiate if we're seeing somebody cross their arms and interpreting that message, or how do we make the distinction in ourselves? I've got some tea here and I almost knocked it over. <laughs> so how do we make that distinction in ourselves? Well, I think, you know, even in, in ourselves, you know, if, as we think about some of these signals, you know, if we've, if we've done some of the work that you talked about earlier and these things are being pointed out. So how do we, you know, how do we differentiate between, okay, no, no, I'm, I'm coming across in a healthy way that way, or, you know, I'm actually using this, you know, to communicate something. Yeah. Well, body language rarely happens in isolation. It happens mm. in clusters mm. and it happens in context. And by that, I mean that if, if we're crossing our arms, it can mean so many different things. I often cross my ar arms because I'm cold in offices, especially they get over air conditioned and, and I'm cold. So um, so then the the cluster around that might be that I, I shiver a, a, mm. a little bit. Or I might also signpost, oh, it's a little chilly. I might rub my arms a little bit to just signpost, this is why I'm, I'm crossing my arms. If you think about context, the the way that body language shows up in context is, was there a trigger just then that caused me to cross my arms? Did you just say something that I didn't like, that made me uncomfortable, that made me annoyed, made me fearful? Mm -hmm. And so I unconsciously crossed my arms. Now, this takes a lot of skill, it takes a lot of practice, but it, but it's a part of emotional intelligence. The bedrock of emotional intelligence is self-awareness and self-management. And, and so if my self-awareness is, hey, Jason just said something that I didn't like, I, I, it made me feel fearful for my job. Let, let's say that's an example. I now feel fear. I now feel fearful about my job. Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> I now feel fearful about my job. I know I'm feeling fearful. And often when I feel fearful, I cross my arms because it's a self-protective gesture, but I'm going to manage my body language in that moment. And the way that I manage my body language is managing my inner monologue. So my inner monologue is going, well, what did he mean by that? Is he saying that I'm going to lose my job? Is you know, and it just you go off on this spin, whoosh, manage that inner monologue. Maybe I want to explore. Hey, Jason, you said this. Are you saying then that my my job is on the line? Hmm. And and checking in, fi finding out, exploring that with with the other person. Or maybe I'm not comfortable at that point saying that, but I'm at least aware of how I'm feeling. 
So then I want to think about, okay, just keep my body language open, manage, self-manage my emotions and how they're manifesting in my, my body. Another tool that I, I think is powerful for managing emotions that subsequently then impacts how you show up with uh, your nonverbal communication, it's called affect labeling, name it to tame it. Mm. And what that means is that when we're feeling an emotion, we name it, we name it silently to ourselves. This is fear, this is anger, I'm, I'm feeling anger, I'm feeling annoyance. And the interesting thing about that is that when we name it, it activates the brain's braking systems, the impulse control centers of the brain. It feels counterintuitive, but it actually dampens the emotion so that we can then better manage it in the moment. And even better if you can silently say to yourself, whew, Jason just said something. I'm feeling fearful about my job. Where am I feeling that physically in my body? I'm feeling a lot of tension in my shoulders. I'm feeling a lot of tension in my arms because then that gives us a choice. We can then choose to relax the tension in my shoulders, mm. relax the tension in my arms. And then because we've named that, it then starts to reduce the emotion, the experience that we have of that emotion. So those are a few tools that you can use wow. around just crossing your arms. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which you yes. hit on the inner monologue. I mean, I get messed up so many times before I walk up to speak or lead a training because I simply looked at my phone and I started seeing the text messages that were coming in. And then my brain starts to go into those, well, what were they thinking about this? And what did they mean that? And then I got to walk on stage or, you know, do a training. And so, you know, it's so important, I think, for that inner monologue to block some of that stuff out uh, and what you're exactly saying, being able to, you know, recognize some of those triggers, process them in a healthy way, because, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. just even that's half the battle. <laughs> yeah. And what you just described is what I call the offstage moment. Okay. And it's actually not my term. It comes from from theater actors know that in order to create the reality on stage they, they need to create, they need to start doing that off stage. Mm. What are those first few moments that, that they're going through off stage to bring that reality with them on stage? So if you're standing backstage and you, you know that looking at your phone, seeing all those text messages comes up does not put you in the mindset and the emotional state you need to show up in the way you want to show up, then leave that phone in the dressing room, mm -hmm. give it to a, a colleague. The, the same thing with what you're thinking about. If you're focusing on everything that you might do wrong right before you walk out on stage, chances are you're going to create some of that when, when you come out, as opposed to thinking about what you do want to create. So focusing on what I do want to create versus what I don't want to create in that offstage moment can help you better control how you walk on and walking on in the way that you want to walk on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let, let's look at uh, maybe one other of the, you know, the, the, the crossing of the arms, the signals, you know, when we think about our eye contact, you know, so mm -hmm. often, uh, you know, especially one-on-one, -on -one, but then especially when we're on the stage, you know, it, it is really difficult. Okay. Where do I look? How do I make sure my, 
you know, my eyes are in control. You know, how do we maintain kind of that appropriate eye contact while we're still, you know, conveying sincerity? Like, what, do, you, do you have any, any guardrails you could, you know, kind of give us when it comes to eye contact? Do you mean on stage or one-on-one? Yeah, let's, one go on, or... let's go on stage. Oh, yeah, because I, yeah, I brought in the one-on-one. Yeah. On one. let's, let's talk about just when we're on stage. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's challenging on stage because a, a lot of times we can't see the audience. We, right. Especially if we're presenting on a large stage with a large audience and you've got those spotlights on you and they're blinding. So a, a couple of things that can help with that. One, rehearse your presentation to live people hmm. so that you get the reality of people responding to your talk. And, and make sure it's not the same audience every time. So you want to mix the different audiences because you don't really know how the audience is going to respond on, on the day. So right. you want to be able to get a, a variety of responses, but then ask them to nod their head as you just did as I'm talking with you, you nodded your head or ask them to look confused if they're confused. So they give you some reactions. That creates the reality of talking to a live human being. And then the other thing that can be helpful is if you think about when you're on a stage, imagine that you're in the center of a clock. And so you're standing in the middle of a clock, an analog clock, and straight on is noon. And then to your right is, uh, I have to remember here, <laughs> I think about an analog, to your right is, is one o'clock, and then two o'clock and three o'clock, to your left is 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock, nine o'clock. Yep. So what you can do is to, to think about walking to each of those parts of mm. the clock on, on different parts of, of your presentation and, and put in your imagination, put a live person. Okay, at 11 o'clock, that's my colleague who is my greatest fan at work. At two o'clock, that's my, my husband. So put real live people in your imagination as you walk to those parts of the clock so that you have a sense of, in your mind's eye, making eye contact with that person. Or you can have a group of people as well. That, that's my team over here. And over here is that client who I have a great relationship with. That, that can be helpful just to create that sense of of eye contact. Hmm. The last hmm. thing I'll say about when you're on stage with eye contact is to make sure you break eye contact. It's okay to look away because we do that when, when we're talking in real life. Right. So you might choose to look away when you're, when you're walking to a different part of the stage and you look down as you're thinking about what your next thought is. Or you might be making eye contact with the, the two o'clock part of the audience but you cheat your shoulder out and you look over at the 11 o'clock side of the audience. So you're breaking eye contact there. That can also be helpful. Wow. So, uh, so many of us now are looking into a camera when we're in Zoom meetings or we're doing WebEx trainings or, you know, whatever it is. Do you, do you have any uh, pointers, uh, skills, things that we could do to you know, to make sure that we're, you know, we're not coming across awkward or robotic, but, you know, like a human being as we're looking into the lens. Yes, we want human beings and we want to be talking <laughs> to human beings. Yes. One thing that I do is put a picture of someone, my, my near and dear, my greatest fan might be my, my husband. Sometimes I've used my mom 
And so I have a picture next to my camera just to remind myself that I am talking to real human beings on, on the other side of that piece of technology. Mm. I also put a, a post-it note next to my camera with, with big block letters and an arrow saying, look here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to remind myself to look there. But if so, sometimes it, it feels very awkward, especially if you're not used to, to working with a camera. And if that's the case, move the, the videos of your audience up as high onto your, your screen as you can. So that if you feel more comfortable looking at your audience, you are at least not looking down, down here where we often put our audiences or, or down here, which yep. is tantamount to talking to the table or talking to the floor in live communication. So move your notes, move your videos up high on, on your screen so that your eyes are lifted and not looking down. And the other tip I would add about that is do what I just did there, which is to break eye contact. Mm. We don't maintain eye contact all the time in person. We, we break it. Otherwise, we look like this really strange person, a serial murderer. Right. <laughs> right. Just stares. Right. And in fact, there's research shows that staring eye contact is perceived as aggressive, if not mm. hostile. So break eye contact. When you think about your next thought, it's okay to look down or that's a, a time to glance over at your audience or read ahead in your notes and then come back to the camera. Uh, so so do as you would do in real life and, and break eye contact occasionally so you don't look like a serial murderer. We don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I did watch a TikTok the other day, though, where uh, it was a team meeting and then one guy started talking and he froze and then the other guy started talking and he froze. Well, they were all just joking and the manager knew knew it. But by the time they got to the fourth guy, you know, the ceiling fan's still going, but, you know, they're they're frozen. So. Right. Uh, but I love that. I mean, those are so practical to be able to, you know, even if somebody's not doing it all the time. Okay, these are steps that will help me be, you know, comfortable with this. I love that. Yes, one percent, one percent improvement. One percent. I uh, that incredible. Uh, so, I, I'm curious, you know, as we kind of wrap up our interview, uh, you know, sometimes us communicators we get into the the bad habits of um, um, uh, saying, uh, you know. Oh, these filler words, ums and uhs, and you know, you kind of have a, a you know particular way you describe them. Uh, you know, would you you share that and and maybe you know like some steps to kind of work on losing those those words? Yes, I combine hedges, fillers, and qualifiers into the word hellers, and I do that because if we overuse them it kind of sends our communication to hell. Right, right. <laughs> it's, it's so much padding in our communication that the audience can't parse what we're saying, mm. or it creates this kind of start-stop feeling where they, they almost will want to then jump in and finish our sentence for us. So hedges come at the beginnings of phrases or, or sentences. I think I just basically, actually, kinda, honestly, mm. And then fillers, um, you know, like come in the middle of phrases or sentences. Qualifiers come at the end of phrases or sentences. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? And it's right. not that they're bad. It's, right. We 
do. We use them. They, they serve a purpose in communication. But when we overuse them, that's when it becomes challenging, when it becomes challenging for our audience to, to stay with us. So a way that if you, if you feel that you overuse them and you want to get rid of them, work with what I call an umbuddy. And mm. an umbuddy is, is just a colleague or a, or a friend who can flag up to you when, when you're using it. So identify first what are your, is it, is a, is it a hedge, a filler, a qualifier, or is it all three? Yep. Which are the ones that, that you want to reduce, if not eliminate? And then have your umbuddy either do wave their hands when you say it or drop a, a penny in a jar so it creates a little sound, ring a bell, ah. do a little clap. Yeah. And when they've flagged up to you that, that you've used it, because remember, it's all about awareness. It's moving into that conscious incompetence before you can move into the conscious competence. Yes. So you will reduce them just by by having your your umbody flag it to you it they will you will reduce saying them because you, you'll just become aware of it so that that's one thing that will happen but then when you hear that or you see that that waving go back restate what you were saying immediately before you inserted the heller only this time without the heller because it's simply muscle memory Mm. So you're training your, your brain to be able to communicate that thought without the, the heller. And, and that's a simple way to reduce them or, or eliminate them. Yeah, boy, that's, whew, that's so good. Even putting them in the different categories. I, I, I'm curious what you think. I, I think it's probably a, a hedges, but sometimes we say, if I'm being honest, if I'm yeah. being honest, you know, like. Yeah. To be honest. <laughs> Yeah. Do you really want me yeah. to be honest? You know? Yeah. yeah. I hope that you're, you're honest, but you know, we, uh, we say that one, uh, to be brutally honest, which always makes me laugh. I think, right. why do you have to be brutally honest? Can you not just be honest? <laughs> just be honest with me. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I love that. Okay. So just out of curiosity, you know, and because of, you know, some of your experience and expertise in the past. So when you've worked with potential speakers who want to you know, get on a, a TED or a TEDx stage. Uh, did you work with them, you know, after they've already kind of been accepted or did you work with them, you know, kind of through the process to kind of, you know, it, you know, improve their, their presentation, uh, kind of curious, you know, this is, you know, like one of those questions where it's, uh, when someone says, well, you know, my friend wants to know, and it's really them, you know, <laughs> cause I'm an, I'm personally in a season where I, yeah, I'm sending, you know, applications to different TEDx. And so I, I'm just always curious, you know, with people who, you know, have had that experience, any advice you'd give or, you know, yeah, and any of those practical skills that would just be helpful as we kind of walk down that path. Well, at, at TEDx Seattle, it's a months long process. The mm. event is usually at the end of November and we start in March. Wow. So that's when we start vetting ideas, vetting submissions. And then a part of that process then is also kind of an audition where we have someone bring their idea in, talk about it for a few minutes, and then they get some coaching to make sure that they are in fact coachable around right. their, their delivery skills. And then towards the end, um, if I recall, it was usually around the end of August that 
delivery rehearsals would start. And so mm. once once people were chosen end of March, early April, then they would go through several months of writing coaching and the whole speaker delivery team was involved with that. So months of rewriting iterations on, wow. on their talk before they even get to delivery rehearsal. But my one piece of advice to people when they, when they want to give a TED talk is make sure you have an idea and only one idea. TED mm. talks are about one idea only. You can, yeah. you can come back if you have another idea, but within that very brief amount of time, we just need to hear what is that gift you're giving to the audience, that one idea. And if you, you can't fit that into one sentence, even better if you can fit it into a newspaper headline, seven words or less, not that you'll share your newspaper headline with the audience, but it just crystallizes for yourself. Yep. Yeah. Here's my one concrete idea. Wow. Wow. I love that. One of my <clears throat> friends, and I've had him on the podcast, he didn't do a TED Talk, but he um, uh, was part of Toastmasters for years and, you know, actually went to their their competition. And in 2019, I think, he took number one in the U.S. and then went to the world and took number three. And just that process that you talked about, all of that coaching, all of that refining, I mean, he said it was just, I mean, every single one word, you know, so that's good. Yeah. To, that's good to know, to look out for, okay, be coachable in those, you know, those situations. That's just huge. We'll yeah. Be... I think that one of the most popular Ted talks, please don't ask me which one it was. Cause I can't remember right now, but I know that that speaker said she rehearsed for 80 hours. Wow. It's a wow. lot. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Young, young communicators ask me from time to time, you know, how do I improve? How do I get better? And, you know, I'm like, just, just practice, like start to practice, work through it, find a mentor that, you know, will give you some, you know, some evaluated ideas and, yeah. you know, do the best that you can. Yeah. I love that. Well, this time, Jacqueline, I mean, my goodness, I can't thank you enough for just sharing some of your wisdom and your insight. Before I let you go, I would love to just do some rapid questions let you know our, our listeners kind of keep getting to know you. So I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot, but with all your work with some of the you know TED stuff, do you have like a you know a favorite or you know if you can't divulge you know who that is you know a favorite speaker that you just you just love anyways because you know the way that they captivate and and communicate. Well, one of my favorite TED Talks, one one of many, but one of my favorites is Andrea Dreesen's talk on living eulogies. Mm. And I know it sounds a little down, but it's actually one of the most life-affirming, uplifting talks wow. that, and, and I'll be a little biased because I helped her with it as well. So <laughs> sure. slightly biased, but I, I think it's just wonderful. I love it. Is yeah. there a podcast, either communication, leadership development, or a guilty pleasure podcast that you just love? It fills fills your cup. Would love to know if you have one of those. Yeah, I I can't remember the name of the gentleman who does it, but it's uh, coaching for leaders. Mm. And actually, I have his name because I know him and I was on his podcast, but I, I have always been a fan of it even before I was on it. Dave uh, Stahoviak. Yeah, that's how you say it. Dave Stahoviak, Coaching for Leaders. 
really that. useful, interesting guests on there. And, and he's so inclusive because he <clears throat> definitely goes for the, the heavy hitters in the leadership space, but, but also people who are not quite as well known. Mm. So interesting conversations. I love that. I love that. Okay. Last question. Okay. So you live in a spectacular part of the country, you know, it's just gorgeous, you know, so if we were to visit the Seattle area, is there something that, oh my goodness, if you have no time, but to visit one spot, where should we, what should we see? <laughs> I'm not, not going to give that one spot away. <laughs> Deal. I'm giving that away. I will say, make sure you plan for a trip to Mount Rainier if you're here in the summer, because it's breathtaking. Mm. It, it really, it will not disappoint. But my very favorite spot on the entire planet is in Washington state. And I just don't want it to get too crowded. So I'm sorry. <laughs> not sharing. Nope. No worries. No worries. Well, I, I can't thank you again for joining us. I just, this conversation has been delightful and you have, you know, just been so gracious and generous with your time. Could you point us to where our listeners can find out more about you, you know, online and where they should go? Sure. Best place to find me is on LinkedIn, Jacqueline Farrington, or the website is farringtonpartners.com. Okay. And we talked about it earlier, uh, this book, A Better Presentations, Mm -hmm. will put all of these links in the show notes. Uh, We'll also be giving some of these away in the Speak With People uh, community Facebook group. And, you know, just thank you so much for your time and generosity. Thank you, Jason. It was so much fun being here. Really appreciate it. it. And thank you to our listeners. Thank you so much for being a part every single week. Every single uh, like, listen, comment, and review just mean the world because the more uh, the reviews, the algorithms like to share it with other people. And so thank you for that. And just a reminder, one of the things that really propels our speaking and communication ability is when we come alongside of a coach. And if you're looking for a communications coach, speak with people, we have some communication coaches. So just go to speakwithpeople.com slash coaching. And we'd love to come alongside of you and help you improve your communication skills. Again, thank you for being a part of the podcast. Hopefully you've been challenged and encouraged to elevate the practice of healthy communication in your life and leadership. My hope is that you will speak with people and not at them. We'll see you next week.